that we're in week two. And uh, check out our podcast if you missed last week. And I want to title this week's message, The Glorious Employment. If you're taking notes, I would highly recommend you do throughout this series. And this message is called The Glorious Employment. And let's begin this morning as we always do. Let's quiet ourselves. Let's pause. Let's make space. Let's look to the God, the glory, the lifter of our head, the one who is with us and dwells intimately in us. Let's close our eyes and center in for a second before we get to all we're going to get to. Lord of life, we recognize you in this place. We recognize you as the God who's near. We recognize you as the God who has made his, his salvation on display for all to see. That you've ransomed for yourself a people who now bear witness to the love and the grace and the goodness of our God. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us into your story. Thank you for dwelling among us. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for um, salvation and how salvation wasn't the only thing uh, that you've done in our lives, but that the cross would have been enough and you've continued to bless us. Uh, in relationships, financially, uh, in our lives, Lord. And though we hit bumps in the road and hiccups, God, we recognize that you continue to dwell among us and to work in our lives. So right now, as we always do, we give pause and we look to you and we take this moment. And as some of us may even um, get squeamish in the silence and in the stillness, Lord, we know that in the stillness, you are God. And so we pause and we make space for you, Lord of life, and ask that we would uh, have our hearts sensitive to your Holy Spirit right now. Let's make space, people of God. Let's pause and look to him. Thank you, Father, for what you're doing in us. And we ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing to you and that you would somehow accomplish your good purpose this morning and you would somehow speak your truth through these words. We look to you, we look to your word, and ask that you would feed us with the richness of your holy word this morning. And we pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, amen, amen. amen. Well, the solar eclipse has come and has gone. And I think there's probably a variety of opinions about the solar eclipse in the house this morning. But I want to see how many of you extreme ones traveled to a totality zone. Anybody? We got one, two, three, four. Okay, some of you. Okay, so very little of us traveled to a totality zone. Which means that the rest of us, for those who observed the solar eclipse, um, were not in the totality zone. I think Colorado Springs was about 90% covered. And uh, JC and I, my wife, and Rush, and baby boy in the oven right now, uh, traveled over to the paint mines all the way out east in Callahan. We ran into Emma and Rachel over there who are picnicking. It was a popular spot. And uh, we got up on this rock and overlooked this plateau, and we were um, looking at this solar eclipse that was happening. And our big takeaway 
was that as much of the hype as there was, and as much as, especially the totality zones, you had this amazing 360 sunset, and it was off the hook, and we were seeing pictures and kind of longing to be in those totality zones. But for us who weren't there, uh, I think the overall consensus that I'm hearing from people is that it wasn't so much underwhelming. I don't want to say that because it's like a once in every 50-year thing. But it was something that if you weren't really paying attention, and if you weren't really intentionally looking, its effects were actually really, really subtle. Anybody, anybody can relate to that? Yeah. The shadows slowly growing crisper, right? The, the, even the sun itself, the eclipse, you had to use this special pair of glasses to look. And if you weren't intentional about getting those pair of glasses until the week before, some of you may even have spent 15, 20 bucks for this little like crappy pieces of glasses that people are making a living off of. I heard of one guy who, who bought all these glasses ahead of time and sold them back and made over 12 grand. Just like nickeled and dimed people. Come on. But anyway, the, the, you know, you, you really had to lean in and be intentional about seeing what the eclipse was all about in order to take on its subtle beauty. And as I was sitting there with my wife, with JC, and we were looking at these things, and the temperature was changing subtly, the, the, the shadows were turning, uh, the light was growing a little bit more blue and a little more light compared to like that dusk when the sun usually sets, these subtle changes. I, I was taking on the beauty of the metaphor that I think the solar eclipse has for us in our life of faith. Where I think often um, we can be pre- kind of preoccupied and we can be very busy and we can have our, our eyes and our mind and our attention on other things like some people had in the solar eclipse. They were going to work and they may not have been able to get to the solar eclipse and outside checking it out. Preoccupied. And as we're preoccupied, I think we miss the subtle beauty that is happening in our lives and this profound reality that can be so overlooked if we don't look for it. And if we're intentionally aware of it, and that is the divine presence dwelling among us. So often we can get so focused on the job, the degree, the relationship, whatever our life holds, maybe even just making it through the season that we're in. Maybe you feel like you're in survival mode and and you just don't have margin and the intentionality to look and recognize the beauty that is God's presence through the Holy Spirit dwelling with us. And so I think the solar eclipse provides this beautiful metaphor. And I think we can all struggle at times in our lives with the feeling that we're just kind of living and we're working and we're engaging in these things apart from the Lord. And I think we can get so focused and tunnel visioned into the work, the work, the work, that thing that we're giving attention to that we forget, wait a minute. There's more than just this work. There's more than this doing, but there is this being that I can step into. There is this stopping and this pausing and this looking to the Lord who is with me, this divine communion that I can be led into. And all of us can struggle it with it at some point in our lives, but uh, I think if we don't recognize that we aren't alone in that, then we can get discouraged and we can get frustrated and we can feel like we're the worst possible Christian ever. But in fact, even Jesus' disciples struggled with this at times. We see this one passage in particular in Scripture where even his disciples who had walked with him and who had seen him perform miracles and who had heard his teaching, even then they got preoccupied and were unaware of the holy presence that was with them. 
Uh, We're going to go to Luke 24 here in a second. And in this story, these two disciples, not the 12, but these disciples who are outside the 12, who are followers of Jesus Christ, they... um, they had been walking with Jesus, and Jesus had been teaching that he would be crucified, and he finally is crucified, and he's buried. And then all of a sudden, these testimonies start breaking through of his grave being empty. And though he had said he'd be raised on the third day and he'd be resurrected, they're trying to figure this out. And, okay, wait, Jesus has died, but the tomb is empty, and what do we do with this? And they're struggling with putting the pieces together. What does this mean? And then Jesus himself actually appears to them and walks with them. And because of their confusion and because of their doubt and because of their preoccupation that we're about to see, they fail to recognize his very presence with them. So let's go to Luke 24, 13 to 33. Uh, We're going to spend a little bit of time reading through this narrative, but but I think it'll serve us well. So we're going to take a little more time reading this than, than normal, but that's okay. Luke 24, 13 says, That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. That is, Jesus dying, being crucified, being buried, and these rumors of him being gone from his tomb. And verse 15 says, While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near. Everybody say, Jesus himself. Jesus himself drew near and went with them. And this is the important phrase, the flag in your mind, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Stop right there for a second. Often, I've heard interpretations about this verse come down to this proposition that that this blindness, this inability to see Jesus with them was actually a divinely ordered blindness. That God, for whatever reason, didn't want his disciples to see Jesus here. And so it was because God said that they would be blind and not see Jesus, that they didn't see Jesus. But an important designation that a lot of scholars write on is not the fact that there was this divinely ordered blindness, but that this blindness actually came from their own doubt and preoccupation with the sorrow of their soul. And I think the overarching context of this story um, reinforces this idea. So pay attention to Jesus's words and and the, the ideas that are being communicated here, because this is an important designation we'll get back to here in a second. Their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Uh, Verse 17. Next slide. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him. Second boy name, Cleopas? You want to go that route? I kind of like Cleopas Caldwell. I like it. Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? They said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel, this Messiah, this promised one of God. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Recognize the distance that they're keeping with this this, uh, witness from the women 
Some of those who were with them went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he, that is Jesus, said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Apparently, Jesus recognized the doubt that had crept into his disciples' hearts. 26 says, Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to him, to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent, showing this Judaic practice of showing hospitality. So he went in to stay with them. And we'll wrap up this narrative in verse 30. When he was at table with them, he took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us? While he talked with us on the road, while he opened to, uh, to, opened to us the scriptures, and they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And so we see this story play out of these two disciples walking along the road with Jesus. And these disciples in their preoccupation and in their grief and even in their doubt, keeping distance from this testimony of the women, not saying they believe it, not saying that they're holding fast to it, but saying these people have said this has happened, but we're not sure. They're preoccupied with their sorrow. They're doubtful. They're trying to figure out what exactly this Jesus has come to do. Has he risen from the dead or has he actually died and this whole thing is a sham? Where are we with this story? And Jesus comes alongside them and it beautifully, Luke says, he opens up the scriptures to them. Starting with Moses, he says, this is where Jesus was under the law. And then the prophets, this is how Jesus fulfills the prophetic testimony of the Messiah. And he teaches them the scriptures and he's opening up the scriptures to them. And while he's opening up to them, they begin to connect the dots. And they begin to think, wait a minute, Moses said this about the law and this about the Messiah. And the prophet, that sounds an awful lot like Jesus. And they begin connecting and they begin thinking, wait, maybe in fact Jesus didn't die. Maybe he is risen from the dead. And they begin to have faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing from the word of God, as Romans says. And they're hearing this testimony of the scriptures and they're hearing this prophetic witness. And they begin thinking, maybe this is true. Maybe this doubt maybe that's the sham in and of itself. And maybe, maybe Jesus has come to do what he said he would do. And faith begins to rise in their hearts. And this faith comes to the culmination when Jesus participates in this intimate act with them of eating. And they're at the table and he breaks the bread and he shares this meal with them and their eyes are opened. And they realize, oh my gosh, the Lord is here It's always been Jesus. This prophetic testimony that he was talking to, it's always been been about Jesus. This is Jesus, the one who was, the one who is, the one who is to come, the Messiah, the Redeemer, the Savior. And they say after Jesus disappears from their sight, they say, did not our hearts burn within us? Did not our very souls attest to the reality that the divine presence was walking with us and yet we were unaware of it this entire time? These disciples' eyes being opened and becoming aware of this reality that Jesus and the divine presence was with them. And as I read this 
account in this narrative of Emmaus, I wonder how many times we've lived like this in our lives. How many times this metaphor actually saturates our life of faith, where we walk and we go through life and we go through school and we go through the homework that we got to do when we go maneuvering these relationships, trying to find this person that we want to spend the rest of our lives with. We're going through this occupation. We're living our lives and yet the entire time we are preoccupied. And maybe we're carrying doubt that the Lord's even with us. And maybe we're carrying sorrow, very similar to what the disciples were carrying on the road to to Emmaus. And all the while, we're preoccupied, and we're looking to other things, and we forget that the divine presence is with us. I wonder how many times um, heartache or suffering or just the tumultuous seasons of life have, have clouded our souls from recognizing the one who journeys with us. How often are we so prone to take our eyes off this imminent and intimate presence and focus on that which uh, was created for us, the work, the doing, the good things in our lives. But it's interesting because for those who have the eyes of faith and for those who have intentionality and awareness and who have cultivated this sense of awareness, they see the one who journeys with them on the road. And for those of us who have fostered this awareness of the Holy Spirit and who have fostered this practice of um, zoning out for a second and hitting the brakes and pausing in the busyness of our lives and looking to the one who is with us, we have cultivated this divine intimacy that actually we were created for all along. But it takes us hitting the brakes in our lives and it it takes us stopping this 100 mile an hour rhythm and takes us intentionally making space and pause to see the Holy Spirit among us and to recognize him. And it's not cultivated and it's not fostered through feelings and us trying to artificially feel a certain way, but it's just a simple act of faith and awareness. Lord, you are with me. As I journey this life of faith, you are with me. You're not distant, but you're close, and you're a God of love. And you become uh, intimate with the Lord, and you begin uh, being wooed into this relationship with the Father. And let me tell you, that is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. This Holy Spirit, as we talked about last week, that, that's the, the lasso of love in a sense. And he woos us into this divine intimacy with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, this triune God. And he says, come into this divine fellowship. And he's with us today to bring us into this divine intimacy that we were created for all the way back in the garden. The very purpose, the, the very reason why our lives We're knit together in our mother's womb, and why we're now living is for this divine intimacy, and it's the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives to lead us and to cultivate this divine intimacy in us. And so the story of Emmaus teaches us that distraction and doubt cloud the soul's awareness of the imminent presence that is with them on the journey. Distraction and doubt cloud the soul's awareness of the intimate presence that is with them on the journey. When we're preoccupied, when we're distracted, when we even harbor doubt, this, the proposition that is God even with us, it clouds our souls and it makes us inattentive and unable to see this uh, intimate presence that journeys with us. But we also see from Emmaus that those with faith and attentive hearts enter into sweet communion along the way. 
for those who are looking, for those who have fostered faith, for those who have the audacity to believe what the scripture says, that the Holy Spirit is with us and is in us, they are the ones who apprehend this divine intimacy. They are the ones who can cultivate this divine communion that they were made for and to walk through their lives and to realize that the Holy Spirit in the very presence of the imminent and divine triune God is with us always, dwelling with us. And in this case, for those who have fostered this awareness, the things that we do and the, the, uh, the things that we give ourselves to and put our hands to, they are now set in their proper context, aren't they? Because the ones who have cultivated and fostered the awareness of the Holy Spirit recognize that, yes, school is great, that, yes, work is great, that, yes, relationships are great. Again, these are the creation that was made for us to satisfy us. We weren't made for the work, but the work was made for us. They recognize, wait a minute, these things that I give myself to, I can journey with the Lord and live life with him. And it's not you go to school and the Lord's distant until you come back and start praying with him in the car or come to church or open up your Bible. But you can be sitting in class fully aware of this imminent and divine and and intimate presence that is with you. And in doing so, school, And work and these things that we give ourselves to can be lived with and for the Lord. And all then can be worship. And the entirety of our lives can be lived for God. And you know, the Christian faith isn't about um, exclusively building in these pillars of of, uh, disciplines into our lives so that every once in a while we think of the Lord. Though that's very helpful, reading the Bible, praying, going to church, all of these things, that's helpful and we should give ourselves to those. But the ultimate goal is to foster a perpetual and unbroken awareness of the Lord with us and to live in a sliver, a type and shadow of the intimacy that we will experience in the new creation. That is being face-to-face with our creator. Once again, walking with him in the cool of the day and having unbroken and unbridled fellowship with him. This is the goal of our lives today. And we do that by cultivating and by fostering this awareness of his holy presence that's with us today. And it takes intentionality. It takes growing in awareness. And uh, over the centuries, Christ followers... Be them Catholics, be them Orthodox, be them Pentecostals and Charismatics, be them Anglican, be whatever denominational or ecumenical affiliation. We see Christ followers throughout church history cultivating this awareness of the divine presence. And we see in the writings throughout time, people, faithful, faithful people of God, faithful sons, faithful daughters who have come and locked eyes with the Lord and cultivated this awareness, they are the ones who have been led into this divine communion. And there's many that we can read um, their writings in and this relationship that they've cultivated, both um, old writers and those of modernity as well. But one of the more notable ones that has fostered or that did foster this awareness of the Lord in his life and who is really well and widely known uh, in the Christian sphere, his name was Brother Lawrence. And some of you may have heard me teach on Brother Lawrence from time to time here around New Life Young Adults, but Brother Lawrence was a 17th century monk who lived in a monastery in Paris. And uh, in this crazy, um, upside-down time of the 17th century in Paris, where the economy was kind of tanking, and there were wars, and there was all this political uprising, Brother Lawrence cultivated and fostered this awareness of the Holy Spirit with him in this monastery in Paris. 
And it's funny because uh, as we read about Brother Lawrence, he was actually known around the monastery as, quote-unquote, a clumsy oaf who broke everything. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not alone in that. Some of you may be encouraged just with that. Okay, I'm not alone in breaking everything. JC can attest to that. He's this clumsy oaf who broke everything. He, he's, just, he's this chump around the monastery who, who just broke things. He, he's breaking dishes. He's this cook who, who is just making a mess of his life and making a mess around the monastery. So he's known as this kind of clumsy oaf. But more than that, he began to become known as this monk who had this intimate relationship with the Lord. And news began to spread not only around the monastery, but around Paris and around the surrounding regions that there was this wacky, goofy-looking monk who had somehow become glowing with joy and glowing with life and glowing with vibrancy and glowing with wisdom. And they began to hear about this monk and they said, what? Okay, how, how does that happen? Who is this guy? And throughout the years of his life, people began to write him. And they began to send letters his way and and ask him, how are you the way that you are? How are you not this clumsy oaf who breaks everything, although I would love to learn about that. But more than that, how are you this monk who is always joyful? How are you always happy? How do you have life? How do you have the wisdom beyond your years? And Brother Lawrence would write back to them letters speaking of how he's cultivated his relationship with the Lord and some of his spiritual disciplines. And these letters after his life, about 100 years later, were collected and were compiled and were made into a collection of writings that actually is currently still in print. And his writings now have become a book, this tiny little book, probably about 120 pages, called The Practice and the Presence of God. And it's, it's these letters from this goofy, oafish monk who somehow cultivated his intimacy with the Lord. And how he did this was he would go throughout his day. We see it in his writings. He would just go throughout his day and he would cook. And he would clean. And he would participate in the set times of prayer that the monastery had ordered for him. And he would just live his life with a constant rhythm of thinking of the Lord. He would live his life with this constant remembrance. Oh, yeah, the Lord. Yes, Abba, Father. And he goes back to cooking. And he can, oh, yes, the Holy Spirit. The divine presence is here. Thank you, Lord. I love you. And he goes back. And he's picking up straws. And he's cooking. And he's breaking a dish. And he thinks, oh, I'm so stupid. Oh, the Lord. Wait a minute. Thank you, Lord, for your generosity. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your gift of life. And he cultivated this awareness and this intimacy in the rhythm of his life. And I want to read an excerpt out of the practice of the presence of God this morning. Brother Lawrence, on his reflections of faith and cultivating this awareness of the Holy Spirit and the divine presence with him. This is from the practice of the presence of God. Here's what he says. And really chew on these words. Think often on God by day, by night, in your business, and even in your diversions. He is always near you and with you. Leave him not alone. You would think it rude to leave a friend alone who came to visit you. Why then must God be neglected? Do not forget him, but think on him often. Adore him continually. Live and die with him. This is the glorious employment of a Christian. In a word, this is our profession. If we do not know it, we must learn it.
Talk about meaty. Think on him often. Adore him continually. Live and die with him. This beautiful invitation to cultivate this awareness of the divine presence with us. This, people of God, is the glorious employment that we have entered into. This is the profession that we ought to give our time and attention and effort and intentionality to. More than finding that job, though we should. More than getting that degree and getting good grades, more than we should. More than landing that dime with the smoking body and the awesome personality, which we should. And that man with the hulking muscles and great hair and all of that, which you should. More than that, our profession in this life of faith is to cultivate this divine awareness that, oh, Abba, you have chosen to draw near. You have chosen to live with me. You have not left me alone to my sin or to my shame or to my oafishness in ruining everything in my life and breaking things. But you have come and you have drawn near, and it is this participation with this intimacy that we are to employ ourselves with And as we do this, as we grow in intentionality, as we stop throughout our day, as we make space and rhythms and order these things into our lives, these times where we just look up and pray, and it doesn't have to be articulate, and it doesn't have to be theological. It can just be, Lord, you're with me. And then you go back to math class. Lord, you're with me. Keeping your eyes on the road. Lord, you're with me. And then you get back to that date. But it's this cult of these small little moments that Brother Lawrence talks about. And I would highly encourage you to get this. He talks about these small little moments throughout the day. Ah, okay. All is right with my soul once again. Yes, I've been doing, and yes, the doing is fine. But all is well when I remember the creator whom I was made for. This is our glorious employment. And this, friends, is the intimacy when we are led into it, that is better than life itself. It's better than any sweetness we can participate in, any sweetness we can encounter in our lives. It is better than the very life in which we lead. And the psalmist, David, in the final verse that we're going to share this morning as we wrap up, Psalm 63, 5 through 8, he speaks of this divine intimacy. And he says this, My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. That's like a steak for the soul. Mm. Bring on the, the potatoes and grease. Glory, hallelujah. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Friends, this is the intimacy. This is our glorious employment that we ought to give ourselves to. Where yes, through the night, as the psalmist says, but also throughout the day, our soul being satisfied. Oh God, you are with me. You're not this distant God that I somehow through my life and good living, quote unquote, whatever that means, have to draw near, but you are the one who has chosen to draw near. And I remember you. And my soul is satisfied. And somehow life makes sense again. This is the glorious profession and employment that we are led into. And so this morning, the invitation to this cultivation is one that may, in fact, be very familiar to some of you. And some of you may be sitting here thinking, okay, yeah, I got it. Cool. I've I've lived that. Know what that means. 
And if that's the case, if you've really internalized this and have lived this, the invitation is to continue the cultivation and to find new ways to foster that awareness of God with you and to come to this deeper level of intimacy with the Lord. But for those of us who have been preoccupied and who have maybe even harbored doubt and questions and even faithlessness to the Lord, the invitation this morning is to come in and to recognize that the Lord is among us that the Lord is here, not just in a building, not just in a church service, but the Lord is with you every step you take. He is on the road to Emmaus with you, journeying this life of faith with you and in you. So the invitation this morning is to build this awareness, this cultivation into our lives. And in doing so, we find that we have been led into this communion that we were created for. So friends, uh, let us, in the words of Brother Lawrence, Think on him often. Adore him continually. Live and die with him. For this is the glorious employment of a Christian. Let's pray. Father, we want to be led into sweet communion with you. We want to recognize and foster an awareness of your presence. God, we want to know the tangibility that is the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ and him crucified, living in us. Oh, we want to know this divine and sweet communion, this fellowship of the Spirit that we were created for. So God, would you lead us into this? Would you help us to build things into our lives? Would you help us to foster little moments throughout the week where we remember you? And it may be these long prayers and prayer requests and laying burdens before you, but they may probably more often than not be these little sweet conversations with the Lord and with you. And in doing so, I pray that we would lock eyes with you and come face to face with the creator, the one whom we were made for, the one in whom alone our lives make sense. So would you do it among us, Holy Spirit? And I pray that as we discuss these topics and these ideas and as we pose these questions to one another, I pray that you would make your truth concrete within us and that we would, uh, by it, be doers of your word, not just hearers. So just speak to us, continue it. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, you guys, take some time. uh, Discuss. Make this practical. Make this concrete. Discussions here. Discussions up here. Enjoy your time of discussion, and God bless you as you discuss. All right. (coughs) You guys can wrap up those conversations. Make that final point. Give that final thought. I always want to give a final kind of thought to make it real and to make it simple and to just make it a bit more practical. But, but number one, number two, actually maybe even all three of these, I'm, I'm thinking that what, what came up a lot was social media. How many of you talked about social media at your tables? None. Come on. Don't leave me hanging. I know you. I know me. Okay, a lot of you, social media. Others, you know, you may have touched on a number of different topics, but... We were talking at our table about just the simple moments and the simple practices where I'm reaching for my phone, but you know what? I'm going to put my phone away, and instead I'm going to make this a sacred moment where I tread on holy ground, where I commune. And it doesn't have to be this real deep, uh, massive, articulate thing, but it can be this simple coming before the Lord. 
And I want to leave us with one more excerpt from the practice in the presence of God. Here's what Brother Lawrence says. We ought to act with God in the greatest simplicity, speaking to him frankly and plainly, and imploring his assistance in all our affairs, just as they happen. Let's stand up on our feet as we dismiss. Lord, would you make us the people who speak to you plainly and frankly? Would you make us the people who are so audacious and bold in our faith to think that an omnipotent and transcendent God actually listens to our humble prayers and is actually with us? Lord, would you help us foster and cultivate these uh, small and sacred moments throughout our week this week and let us grow in an awareness of your divine presence that journeys with us. So people of God, I pray that the Lord would bless you and keep you. May, may he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift his bright, shining countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, amen, amen.